Bibles to the book of Acts 18. We're continuing to study the book of Acts. And remember, it's not the Acts of the Apostles, that's what it's typically called, but it's really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And I'm so thankful that God is not done working in His church. He is still empowering His people, Christ the head of the church, the Spirit filling us, binding our hearts in love, and enabling us through His power to serve others and to reach the world with the gospel. And so we're so thankful for God's work in our church, and I'm so thankful that our best days are ahead of us by God's grace. If you are in Acts 18, uh, we're going to start in verse 22, so if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Acts 18, 22, and when he had landed in Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Let's pray. God, we desperately need to understand how to have fruitful and joyful ministry. I thank you for the example of Paul in your word and how it speaks to us today. And Lord, we ask that you might fill our hearts with joy and that you would help us to be effective, to bear fruit for your glory so that we might spread your fame and your joy to the nations. We pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're talking about how Paul took time to reflect, renew, and refresh so that it would lead to greater fruitfulness and joy in ministry. And you say, wow, you're seeing a lot in there that maybe is not just uh, on the surface evident, but as we've dug into verses 18 through the end of, or excuse, through uh, verse 23, uh, we've noticed some things that Paul has said and some reasons that he had, and we've learned from these the importance of taking time to reflect on God's goodness. That's the Nazarite vow. Taking time to renew our vision. We see that when he stops in Ephesus and says, I'll be back by God's grace. And then we see him taking a time of refreshment as he goes back to the churches of Antioch uh, and Jerusalem. Uh, Those were the mother church, Jerusalem, and then the first major church plant uh, reaching out to Asia and Europe. And his time after a second missionary journey to stop and take time of rest and recuperation is very instructive for us. As a matter of fact, we looked at how we all need a Sabbath rest principle, how it uh, predated even the law, this idea of the Sabbath rest, and how each of us need that time that was given as a gift to man to rest and remember the Lord. And so we had a chance to already examine some of those things. And that helps produce that refreshment, that refueling will really help us uh, be more fruitful and joyful in our ministry. But I would like to continue on and look at another thing that helps us refresh our souls and bodies as we serve so that we can be fruitful and joyful. And, uh, And that's this, biblical fellowship leads to greater fruitfulness and joy in ministry. When he went back to those churches... It wasn't just because he needed a free place to stay. Uh, He was going back because there were not only the apostles there that could minister to Paul, but there were other believers that would be able to have a ministry to encourage Paul and help him. So we see all throughout Scripture, biblical fellowship 
is extremely important. Um, you know, something is interesting. Recently, of course, the St. Louis, or excuse me, the Los Angeles Rams uh, won the Super Bowl. Um, and I was watching sort of the, some of the celebrations. You know, they showed brief video clips of the city of Los Angeles and surrounding areas really rejoicing in their team winning. Uh, a couple things occurred to me as I was watching this celebration. The first thing was this, it should have been us. Okay, I, it just should have been. But put that aside, uh, what you also see, it was kind of neat. I remember when uh, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, how the whole city comes together, all the surrounding areas. We came together, even in the bitter cold, if you'll remember, to celebrate this win. And I always just find it just um, something that brings me joy to see people coming together like that. It just always does. And, um, and so I thought to myself, you know, is the church kind of like that? Like they all came together for the Chiefs or for the Rams? Um, is the church kind of like that? We're all kind of just coming together, you know, to celebrate Jesus. Uh, is that what the church is like? And I, I realized, no, no, fellowship is not really like that. You say, but wait a minute, isn't it? Aren't we coming together to celebrate Jesus Christ? Um, here's the thing is, if you look in the natural world, we see people coming together for all kinds of reasons, don't we? Uh, whether it's sports or hobbies, uh, they come together in art museums, they come together in baseball stadiums to watch their favorite bands, to watch movies for political rallies and all kinds of things. Uh, people who are similar, that have something that they enjoy like to do it together. That's something that's natural just being human. It's kind of built in, I think, by God. But the church is so much more than that. That's why the church is so awesome. Because God didn't just say, hey, I'm going to bring together a bunch of people that are just alike, and they'll get along because they're so much alike. No, he brought together people that were radically different. That's why the church was such an amazing witness in the uh, first century. Because he was taking Jew and Gentile, people who are radically, culturally, socially different, and he was throwing them together, and the world would say, there's no way that they're going to get along. There's no way on this earth that they can get along. And what was so amazing is because it wasn't something that was natural, it was something that was supernatural. And folks, that's why the church is so much better than just people getting together because they like the same thing. Oh, yes, we all love Jesus, hopefully, and we're coming together in part for that reason. But the reason we're coming together is because something supernatural has happened. And it's this, that God has literally taken believers, baptized them into the body of Jesus Christ, put them in union with Jesus so that we're in union with each other, and then bound our hearts through love and the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way, so that when the world looks at the church and says, how can people who are radically different all get along? We can say, only Jesus. Only Jesus. And that's really what it's supposed to be about. The church isn't just another affinity group. It's the result of a spiritual reality that we're brought together in the body of Christ under his headship, and our fellowship, listen, our fellowship is the proof of that reality. That's why fellowship is so important. And fellowship isn't, well, you mean like a cup of coffee in between Sunday school and Sunday morning service? Oh, you mean like when we kind of talk around the water fountain before church and, and sometimes we kind of hang around just a little bit afterwards and talk? You mean that? Those are just signs and, and small symbols of something much deeper that should exist. 
Real fellowship is so much more than that. And it is something that is supernatural. And Paul realizes this, and so when he goes back, he stays there for months, refueling and refreshing his spirit. Not just resting his body, but refueling his spirit. So that when it comes time to go back out into his third missionary journey, he's ready for the task. And I think we need to take it just as seriously as Paul does here in Acts 18. Oftentimes what we call fellowship really kind of falls short of what the Bible describes as genuine fellowship. I'm not saying it's wrong for us to have coffee in between or talk before and after. Those are great things. But they're not necessarily the same things as biblical fellowship. They're the start. They're just scratching the surface. But there's so much more. And so I want to look at five things, and I'm telling you right off the bat, we're not getting to all five, okay? Uh, No shocker right there for Pastor Jeremy, right? Uh, We're going to talk about unity, community, harmony, ministry, and maturity, and how these five things, I'm not going to say everything that could be said about fellowship. There's so much more. It would take a much longer series. But what I like to do is kind of give a framework so that we understand what real biblical fellowship looks like, and we start to expect more We start to see that the we is greater than the me, instead of getting discouraged and saying, well, you know, I kind of talk to people before and after church, but I don't feel connected. And then we walk away from the church, or people walk away from the church, so I never really felt like I had relationships. That, hey, listen, God wants more, but the fact is, is we've got to reach out for what God has given us, and we've got to lay hold, and we've got to work at putting into practice what God has provided by grace, I mean, he's given us all the tools. It's kind of like your Bible. God's given it to you. If you choose not to read it, you're shortchanging yourself. Fellowship's the same way. He's provided it in Christ Jesus. He's given us a wonderful framework in the local church. But if you say, nah, I'm really busy, then you're going to miss out on one of the riches of God's grace. Sometimes, you know, that's the the thing that kind of gets me. Uh, We talk about, oh, the riches of God's grace in salvation. And we talk about things that affect us. I've been justified. I've been made holy in Christ Jesus. I've been rescued. I've been given an eternal life. I'm going to be glorified. And we make it so much about us. But if you look at the riches of grace, it includes a whole lot more than just what happened to me. It's what God is doing with us as his people. That's all included. And some people want to leave money on the table. (laughs) That's one of the things in negotiations. They used to tell us, hey, don't leave money on the table. The fact is, is, God has given us these wonderful gifts of grace in the local church and in relationships and in fellowships, and we kind of just say, Lord, I want all these things that help me, but all these other things, I, I, I think I'll be okay without them. We're leaving things on the table that God has provided through Jesus Christ. Don't do that. It's too good to miss. So let's talk about that first thing, unity. This is how we are put in permanent relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not something that's theoretical. It is something that's actual. The Bible uses different terms to describe, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But one of the things I really love is what we see in John 17. Uh, I pray for those whom you have given me. And by the way, the ellipses there mean that I'm leaving parts of it out so it all fit on one screen, okay? Uh, But if you want to go back and read it, I would suggest that you do, because this is Jesus' prayer for his people. You know what's so great about John 17? 
Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what he's going to be doing in heaven for us after he ascended to the Father. Okay, so we know what he did on the earth, right? He lived a perfect life. He died on our behalf so as, as our substitute so we can have eternal life. But you know that Jesus is still working. There's this commercial with uh, Troy Pomolanu. You ever seen this? And it's a uh, thing for head and shoulders. And, he, and he, he, he's got those beautiful locks of hair, right? And, and, the, and the, the commercial is never not working. And it shows a guy, actually, I think it's Patrick Mahomes, uh, and, and like, he keeps on showing up. Every, like, he goes to the dentist, and it's Troy Pomolano, and he goes to the, the grocery store, and it's Troy Pomolano, and it's, a, it's every place, and he keeps on saying, never not working, never not working. Well, here's the thing is, is Jesus is never not working. <laughs> I mean, he literally is working on our behalf in heaven right now, interceding for us before the Father's throne. So it's pretty amazing. So what Jesus is giving us in John 17 is a glimpse. He's praying. He says, I'm going to show you the prayers and the work I'm going to be doing when I go back to heaven. So it's really beautiful, beautiful stuff. And he says this, I pray for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Heavenly Father, these are your people, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine. Uh, because the Father and the Son are united we're God's people, we're Jesus' people, right? And then he says, and I'm glorified in them. Keep them through your name that they may be one as we are. Now, here's something that's amazing. The oneness that we have in Jesus Christ is a reality. It's not something we just work for. Unity is something we work for. But the fact that we're one in Christ Jesus, that is something that exists right now because Jesus says, I'm praying that it's going to happen, and it happens, so when he baptizes us, every Jew and Gentile, every person, trunk, uh, tongue, tribe, and nation that gets, uh, comes to Jesus, they get put in union with Christ, and we get put in union with each other. We're one with the Father, we're one with each other. This is something that's a reality. And so our fellowship is just simply living out the reality of what Jesus already did and is doing right now. He continues, uh, John speaks of this fellowship in 1 John chapter 1. He, calls, he says, Jesus is the word of life. And he says, the life which we have seen and uh, heard, we declare to you. And this is John speaking. He says, hey, we saw and we experienced Jesus firsthand. We saw that he was the word of life. He was God's revelation of eternal life in human form. And then he goes on to say, we declare this to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we write these things to you so that your joy might be full. Now notice what he says. He doesn't just say, hey, we preach the gospel so that you would be one with Jesus. He says that. But he says, so that you may have fellowship with us. John's saying... I through the gospel, you're not only in fellowship with the Father, but because I'm, I'm in fellowship with the Father, and all believers are in fellowship with the Father, your fellowship is with us. And so, he again reinforces this idea that the idea of fellowship isn't just with the Father and with the Son, but it means a reality of we are now in relationship with each other as well. So, every genuine believer is unified with Christ, and with other Christians, and it says, and I'm writing these things to you that your joy might be full. Oh, because they have eternal life? Well, certainly that. I mean, John knew if you receive eternal life, 
And again, eternal life is not something like, oh, uh, so I start getting that when I get to heaven, because that's when it starts my eternal, I'll get my new body and I'll get an eternal life in heaven. No, eternal life is something you get the moment you believe. It's a new quality of life. It's being born again. It's a new creation. All those things are part of this eternal life experience. It's something that has radically changed in you because you've been given real life in Jesus. And he says, listen, eternal life will bring you joy, but that's not the only thing. He says, your fellowship with the Father and with us, I'm telling you about these things because of eternal, uh, uh, it's all through eternal life, but I'm telling you about these things because I want your joy to be overflowing. So he said, what are you trying to say here? Are you saying that my experience of joy is tied to my experience with fellowship with the Father and with his people? Yes. And some people, I think, miss out on the joy of those relationships within the local church and that true fellowship, and they're leaving money on the table. And what you're leaving is is joy on the table. You're missing out. The joy's there. It could be yours, but you're just saying, nah, I'm good. Now, I want you to think about it this way. Would you say that the closer that you move toward Jesus Christ... In your relationship to him, the more joy you will have. Would you say that? You move closer to Jesus, you you move toward him in your relationship, are you going to experience more of the joy that he gives? Yes. And do you think that that's something as a Christian we should strive for? To move toward that because we're in union with Christ, move toward a deeper fellowship with him. Well, listen, the same thing is true if God has put us in fellowship with one another. If we drift more toward it and experience it in greater measure, we're going to have more joy. If we drift away from it, we're going to rob ourselves of joy. Which, true of one, would also be true of the other. Because it's part of the same spiritual reality. And so the Bible uses several metaphors to describe this unity. He says... You're part of a new kingdom. You're part of a family. You're part of a body. Now, if you stop and think about each of those, they have some unique pros and cons, don't they? Right? Living in Higginsville comes with a lot of pros, but it also comes with some cons. Uh, One of my big beefs is they got rid of the Taco Bell. We had Taco Bell in this town. You're thinking, that is no great loss. Okay, I get it. But there used to be a Taco Bell. And and, and being in a small town means that when the Taco Bell went went away, I'm probably not going to get it back. It's, it's, you know, maybe, but probably not. But you know what? Living in Higginsville comes with a lot of great things, doesn't it? Same thing with small communities like Lexington and Quarter and Alma and all these small towns. They have so many. You get to know your neighbors. We don't really worry about crime. There's a lot of things that come with it. There's a lot of pros and cons. So there's some privileges and there's some responsibilities. There's some things that are really awesome and there's some things that are challenging. And the same thing is true. Listen, being part of a spiritual community, when the Bible in, um, let me get my verse right, uh, would be Ephesians 2.19 says, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens means you belong to the same spiritual community. 
that means being part of a spiritual community has some, some hard things. It means not everybody in the spiritual community acts right. <laughs> sometimes we mess up and sometimes we annoy and sometimes we offend and we don't want to be that way, but sometimes we are. But listen, it comes with all this beauty that Christ has provided through these relationships too. Uh, also, the Bible talks about a body. There's some wonderful things about the human body. There's some drawbacks to the human body. One is uh, how, you know, when the Bible talks about how you're, you're individually members one of another. And so that you're all part of one body. Romans talks about it. 1 Corinthians talks about it. It says you're a body. There's some things about the body that really are unique. Uh, like how, you know when it says when one member suffers, we all suffer with it. Have you ever dropped something heavy on your toe? And your whole body reacts. Now, first of all, I kind of go into contortions. First, well, the first thing that happens is my brain starts screaming, usually shortly after my voice follows up. But my brain starts screaming. It hurts so bad. And then you're like, ah, ah. And it's like everything hurts. And it's like, ah. It, and just like your whole body, sometimes you just you fall down the floor and you're like holding your foot like, oh, this hurts so bad. Or you just have to stop and go, okay, okay, I'm going to walk it off. I'm going to walk it off. There's some pros. Um, there's some cons. That would be a con, right? But also some pros. You know how amazing the human body is that when you get an infection, all these things happen to help heal infections? The same thing is true with the, God uses these terms that make sense to us, like a body. So we understand that, yeah, sometimes there's some hard parts. Like sometimes we stub our toe and, and the whole church hurts. Sometimes there's pain. Sometimes it's brought on by just loss. In, in life, and sometimes brought on by poor choices, but we suffer together. But we also have this amazing ability to, to serve one another, love one another, and heal one another, and encourage one another. It's an amazing thing. Citizens of a new kingdom, uh, part of the same body. And then he, he uses one that I really love. I've been thinking about a lot lately. Ephesians 2.19 says, you're no longer strangers, foreigners, but fellow citizens. But then it goes on to say, and members of the household of God. The household. You're part of God's family. And again, we, we tend to be like, oh man, I'm, I'm one of God's children. Man, I'm telling you, he adopted me. And my, my father is the heavenly father, and you should rejoice in that. But it's kind of like this. We, we shout, the father, is, the heavenly father is my father. Yeah, and these guys are my brothers and sisters. <laughs> it's kind of like we shout one and we whisper the other. Now, I understand because, you know, God is perfect and awesome. So whenever we shout it, it's like we're not going to find any imperfection in that. Right? I mean, sometimes when he disciplines us, we don't like it. But we understand the perfection of the Father. But then somehow we get very quiet when we talk about when, when Jesus talks about how we're brothers and sisters even relates to himself as being our brother, by the way. Interesting. With the Father being our mutual heavenly Father. We kind of whisper that because we realize that the family, the brothers and sisters aren't always perfect like the Father's perfect. Sometimes they let us down. Sometimes we let them down. But listen, the, the idea of having a family is amazing. Now listen, we, we can't, we didn't control what family we were born in. 
I wasn't making any decisions about being a Herbert. <laughs> I just kind of got born and found out, hey, guess what? You're a Herbert, okay? This is what we're doing. We're, we're Her- I'm a Herbert now. So, that we, but understand something, that God has birthed us into a spiritual family that's not bound together by human genetic blood or uh, genetic traits or uh, genetic similarities or DNA, shared DNA, but by something so much deeper, and that's the very blood of Jesus Christ. They say blood's thicker than water. What could be thicker than the fact that Jesus' blood brought us into one family? And doesn't that mean something? I mean, I, I feel like sometimes we, we treat it very casually when it's something very, very important to God. That God designed something called the family and said, I'm going I'm to adopt you as my child, but I'm going to give you brothers and sisters. One of the most amazing things is to watch stories of adoption. I admit, I'm one of those sappy guys sometimes. I hear stories like that, and I just cry. And I was like, oh, man, that's so touching. But you hear stories of people adopting to a family. I saw one where, man, I hope I don't start crying now, but I'm thinking about it. So, so there is it, the day to sign the papers for the adoption. And the judge asked the kids, hey, are you for this? You know, do you want them to be your parents? And they say the most beautiful things. This this most amazing thing. I didn't have a family, but now I do. Folks, we were spiritual orphans. And God says, I want you. And I want you to have brothers and sisters. And and you're going to be a real family. That is the most amazing spiritual thing I I could imagine. And that we kind of treat it casually. Like, yeah, I already got a... I already got a family I don't like very much. I don't need a second one I don't like all that much. No, it's, it's something that Jesus made and even died and rose again so that we can enjoy it. How amazing is that? You know, in a book I'm reading right now called Compelling Community, it really brings out a very important truth. It says when the gospel was first being preached... Uh, in uh, the first century, after Jesus rose again and he commissioned him to go into the world preach the gospel, that the church, as it was being planted, came with signs and wonders to validate its truth. They said, but something that's interesting is when you go through the book of Acts and you see Paul revisiting those cities, those signs and wonders are largely gone. And he says, here's the question, Why? Why signs and wonders at the beginning, but then when he goes back through, those are largely gone, and what you find is simply preaching the word of God, strengthening the disciples, and building the local church. And here's the reason why. Jesus gave us the answer. He said this, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one toward another. Uh, They needed signs and wonders to validate the gospel for the first Christians that came. But then after that, you know what he said was going to be the greatest validation of the gospel? Your love. Your relationships. That's what they're going to see. And here again, in every new place you go, you have signs and wonders. The signs and wonders pretty much just fall off. And what you have is a church of people loving each other and failing miserably sometimes and growing and confessing and asking forgiveness and and all the beauty and the mess of a local church. But in all of it, it still screams something. 
that you can have union with Christ, and this is the proof. You can be, have a new spiritual family as part of that with Christ as head. God has chosen the fellowship of the local visible church to demonstrate the reality of our union in Jesus. That we can all overcome all of our differences, even on COVID, in order to all come together in love and care about each other, whether or not we agree. That's what screams the gospel. Because you look at the world, they're not doing so well. Which is exactly why the church has to do well. We have to get it right because it says something about our faith. It says something about Jesus Christ. To neglect our relationship building within the family of God is just as much of a sin to neglect as it would be if we neglected our relationship with Jesus Christ. So the local church then is a committed community of believers sharing their common life in Christ. It's not the natural bonds of mutual interest or similarities that tie us together. It is the supernatural bonds of the Holy Spirit that takes very different people, diversity, and puts them together in unity. Oh, I'm going to have to stop. Well, if I go on, I'm going to get stuck right in the middle and it's either going to go too long. I got to be too short or too long. I'm sorry. Um, but next week, I want you to come back. We're going to talk about that second aspect, okay? We talked about unity, but now we're going to talk about community. And um, when, as we look at that, we're going to see how through worship, our worship and our walk, God ties our hearts together, and we get to see visibly what spiritually has happened in our union. We get to see it take place in real time, in real life, and how this has to, we have to do better at it. I'm so thankful for what I see, but I say we can never stop being what God has called us to be as a church. Let me just give you uh, some things to live it, uh, to live it out, okay? Uh, ask yourself some hard questions. Ask yourself, am I disconnected from the family? And is the reason I'm drifting from my church family is because I'm drifting from Jesus? I mean, that's a hard question, but there's a correlation. I don't know any other way to say it. When I am avoiding my church family, it's usually because my walk with Jesus isn't that great. But the closer I walk to Christ, the more I love his people because that's how he builds it. That's what he loves, so we start to love what he loves. Would you say your love for your fellow believers, especially in the context of the local church, is it waning or is it gaining? <laughs> is it drifting or is it moving toward? The second thing I would say is um, make time and make some phone calls or text or email or Instagram or whatever you use. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. The fact is, is whatever you care about, you put on your calendar. You, you make time for, right? You build it into your schedule. Build fellowship in. Say, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave so many hours per week. I'm going to leave for just getting together with people, having coffee, and really getting to the heart of how the gospel 
is working in my life and their life. Make time for that. Uh, you make time for your doctor's appointments because, you know, you need to go to the doctor sometimes. You make time to, hey, this is my work schedule. I got to make sure and be there. Uh, make some time. But that also means you got to make phone calls. <laughs> you got to actually contact people and say, hey, I really need, let's get together. Let's talk. And if someone does that for you, if you can't because you just have a very busy week, then schedule it for next week. But be receptive to those times. Um, listen, you say, well, I want to belong. Maybe if I get involved in a small group. And by the way, that's great. We've experienced tremendous fellowship and growth in our small groups. But you understand that it doesn't happen automatically just because you show up to a small group. Because <laughs> you can, uh, and I, I've been there. I've showed up to a small group and being like, when the question got asked, I'm not answering that. I ain't telling nobody about that. I ain't going to deal with that. When a brother or sister asks me a question, I'm like, I'm not, you know. Uh, you know, uh, if you want the answer to that, you're going to have to go to the corner of Nunya and business because <laughs> it's Nunya business. <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes. And yet I hear the Holy Spirit saying, but Jeremy, isn't that why I brought you into union with myself and others? So they would sometimes get all up in your business. Yeah. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm very grateful for uh, your convicting work through the Holy Spirit. God, showing us, God, you love us to death. You, you, you love us so much, and you're kind, and you're tender, and you're a shepherd, and you're gracious, and you're merciful. That God, because you love us, you will convict us. You will rebuke us. God, you will make us look in the mirror of your word and say, I've got issues. And I'm thankful for that. Because the whole purpose is joy. Experiencing deeper fellowship which equals deeper joy. So God, you've been, you've been sort of nailing me to the, uh, my hide to the wall on some of these issues. And God, I'm thankful for that. But my prayer is, would you nail some other people's hide to the wall? But would you start really working in our church and, and getting, I don't want people to be overwhelmed by failure because that's not what the gospel's about. I want people to find hope. But Lord, if we don't see what the problem is, we can't reach out for the grace that you've already given in Jesus Christ. The answers are there. The riches of grace are there. But Lord, sometimes we need to know that, it's the, that, that we've got a problem, so we'll reach out. So thank you for your convicting work. But Lord, I pray that you would stir us up to love and good works. And Lord, help us to stir one another up to love and good works as, you, as you, uh, you've told us to. Help us to grow in this area, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you so much for being here at Faith Baptist Church. And um, just a little reminder uh, for those who are members, we do have a family meeting. We're going to try to make...